we've been doing a series on Mount Zion, and God wants to give us a you know, fresh love for Zion. God loves Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob, it says in Psalm 87. And the first thing that David did when he became king over all Israel was to get the Ark of the Covenant, which was in a place called Kirjath Jerim, and he got it there and he bought it. And then it, it was done the wrong way. Things went wrong. And it was left at the house of Obadidim. And then again, David came and when he got things right and he brought the ark, the presence of the living God, to Mount Zion, a hill in Jerusalem. And there David would sit under the, he would sit, there would be a tent there on Mount Zion. The ark of the covenant would be under the tent. You know, and David would be there. The very presence of the living God, the Shekinah glory of God was there. David was there. David worshipped the Lord. He ministered to the Lord. He sat before the Lord. He loved the Lord with all his being, with all his heart. And, you know, his, his, his worship just ascended uh, up to the Lord. And it was from Mount Zion that, you know, many of the, some of, or some of the Psalms that David wrote, he wrote, them there under the, under the precious anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that there were battles at Zion. They fought against the Jebusites and they defeated the, the, the Jebusites. God gave them a great victory. And then later on there was another, another battle against the Philistines and God showed, them his, God showed David his strategy and they defeated the, the, the Philistines. And so we see them, you know, overcoming the enemy. And then in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24 are, are very precious psalms. And they're written by David, but they're both linked together. And both, both of these psalms were written at the time when the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, was, was, was carried to Mount Zion. And... It was carried to Mount Zion from the, from the house of Obadiah. And in Psalm 24 and verse 4, which we've been looking at, we saw four qualifications. It says, who will ascend? Who will ascend up into the hill of the Lord? And that's a question mark. And then the answer comes. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And we've, we've looked at those two areas. And then who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And we looked at those last two um, last, last Sunday. And so those qualifications basically are for ascending up the mountain of the Lord. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who shall ascend Mount Zion? Who shall go up to Mount Zion? And in that verse, it gives four qualifications. But if we go back to Psalm 15, we see there another 11 qualifications and these 11 qualifications in Psalm 15 are concerning not just ascending up to Mount Zion, but for those who are going to remain in Mount Zion or who will dwell upon Mount Zion. And so in Psalm 15 and verse 1, again, we have another question. And the question is, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell? in thy holy hill. Who, and, and God, that's where God dwells. Who will dwell with the Lord? Who will dwell in God's holy hill? Who will dwell in Mount Zion? 
And this time it, it doesn't speak just of ascending up the hill, but it speaks about abiding there. It speaks about remaining there. It speaks about dwelling there. Who shall dwell in his holy hill? And then from verse 2 and 3 and 4 and verse 5, the next four verses, it gives 11 qualifications for those who will dwell in Mount Zion. And this morning I want to look at three of them, the first three, and all of those three we find in verse 2. So Psalm 15, verse 2, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Let's read them together. One, two. He that walketh uprightly and walketh, worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. All right. First one is he that walks uprightly. He that walks uprightly. Now, the Hebrew word that is used there is a Hebrew word, tamim, and the meaning of that word, it means upright, it means entire. Sometimes it's translated perfect. It's also, in the NIV, it's translated blameless. He that, he that walks uprightly, he that walks blamelessly. And another time it's translated without blemish, without blemish. And that same Hebrew word is also used in, in Genesis 17 and verse 1 when it speaks about Abraham. And it says, when, when God spoke, spoke to us. When God spoke to Abraham and in Genesis 17, it's, God said, walk before me, walk before me and be perfect. And that's the same Hebrew word as is translated here in Psalm 15 as uprightly. Now, we can't be perfect in our own strength, no way. But we have the Lord within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. He is the comforter. He's the one to, he's our helper. He will strengthen us. And we should be pressing on to perfection. And the Lord is wanting to make us perfect or there's a sense there of more complete, mature in the Lord. So he that walks uprightly, uprightly, walking uprightly, we want to walk like that, walk straight, be honest, be righteous. You know, in Zion, there's no, there's no deceit in Zion, no deceit at all. And the Lord himself, the Lord himself is upright. And he wants to make us like him. He wants to transform us into his image, into his likeness. He is upright. We must be upright. We must be upright. And he wants his uprightness to be worked out in our lives. In Psalm 11 and verse 7, it says there, the upright, it says the upright, it's interesting this verse, verse 7, and it says, for the, the righteous Lord loves righteousness. And, and we want to love what God loves. But then it says, his countenance does behold the upright. In other words, he sees us. He sees us in our needs. He sees our when we're crying out and with, with our problems, with our prayers. He, he sees us. He beholds us. His countenance does behold the upright. But in the margin, it may be in your Bible or not, but in the margin of my Bible, it, it's got the, it, it says there, it says, 
that the upright behold his countenance. So another translation of that is the upright. When we are being upright, we will behold his face. We will behold his countenance. So there it says his countenance beholds us, sees us. But another translation, and it can also mean the upright behold his countenance. When we're walking uprightly, we're going to see him or see his countenance. You know, what an what a incredible promise. What a precious promise that is to us. Proverbs 11 verse 20, it says, But such as are upright in their way are his delight. I'm sure we all want to bring pleasure to the Lord. We want to bring delight to the Lord. How do we delight the Lord? How do we bring pleasure to the Lord? When we walk uprightly, when we do th- when we are righteous, when we're righteous, when we are upri- when we are upright, as such as are upright in their way are his delight. And we can we can bring delight to the Lord. And as we walk in uprightness, that's one way of bringing pleasure to him. Psalm 18, verse 23, it says, I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. So an upright man or an upright woman, not only will he be upright and love righteousness, but also on the, op- the opposite side, he will, he will hate sin. He will hate iniquity. And so the upright, the upright, you know, do not walk with the wicked, and the ungodly. Now, you've got to have some interaction, I realize, at work and other things. But basically, we're not going to continually hang out with, with, with those who are wicked, who are ungodly, who are, who are not upright. But we want to, by the grace of God, walk uprightly, walk in the light of God's precious word. And when we're talking about walking, we, we're talking about walking, often you're walking along a pathway. And Proverbs 4, verse 18, the path of the just is as, the shi- is, is as a shining light that shines more and more, brighter and brighter. It will shine unto the perfect day. And so as we walk uprightly, God's light will shine increasingly on our path. And we'll, be, we'll move in the spirit. We'll walk you know, in the will of God. And we'll be, you know, at the right place, at the right time, the right place and the right time, our pathway, our path, and God wants to lead us. And, you know, a key is that we walk uprightly before God. You know, just thinking on just the other day, a couple of days ago, I thought, well, I must, I just felt impressed by the Holy Spirit, well, I believe it was the Holy Spirit, that I needed to to go and see, visit uh, uh, Charles, uh, Charles Harvey, on on um, on Friday morning, so I, I got Marilyn to to arrange it the previous day, but I was just prompted to, to 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 go on the Friday morning, and so we went out there. And we had a we had a wonderful time, and and uh, you know talked with him and, and and prayed with him, and we went through some scriptures from about the resurrection from one Corinthians fifteen, and. Uh, and then we sang, you know, we sang uh, um, 
you know, uh, Psalm 23, we, we sang, and, and, and then we just felt to, you know, release him to the Lord, that God would just take him, take Charles to glory in his time. And, and just the sweet presence of the Lord was in our midst. And, and then just a few hours later, you know, he went to glory. He went to be with the Lord. His time, his time. We all have a time, a time to be born. We have a time to die. He comes. And God is wanting to, to guide our path, to lead us, and to lead us in the pathways, pathways of righteousness, of uprightness. Secondly, in Psalm 15 and verse 2, the second qualification for dwelling in Mount Zion is that he that works righteousness. Now, this is similar, slightly different, but it's an emphasis on righteousness. He that works righteousness. Number one was he that walks. You're walking uprightly. But number two, our works, the things we do, the works of our hands. He that works righteousness. And we want the works of our hands to be works of righteousness and not to put our hands to evil or any wicked thing. And in 1 John in chapter 3, in verse 7, it says there, he that, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. So how do we know if a person is righteous? Not by what they say, but what they do. And John says, he that, do, he that does righteousness, he that doeth righteousness, or he that does righteousness is righteous. So this is speaking of, of imparted righteousness, or righteousness being worked out in our life, or Thing, acts of righteousness. And so we must actively pursue that which is right. Righteousness signifies, you know, what is right in a given situation. And, you know, for example, you know, those who are, you know, Christian businessmen have a business and employ others. You know, three things which are, which are uh, vitally important. And firstly, it's important to be to be honest, we're, we're, we're honest. And secondly, it's important to do a good job, to, do an ex- seek, to seek to do an excellent job. And thirdly, you know, to, you know, to charge reasonable prices, re- reasonable prices. You know, some businessmen, you know, they walk in uprightness, but, but sadly, others do not. And some Christian businessmen think it's, it, it doesn't matter how you, how you make money, but it does matter how you make money. We've got to make money in ways that are, that are right and are upright. And, you know, some people think, well, it doesn't matter if you're, you, you, you don't obey the rules or you're, you're a bit corrupt or whatever, as long as you give a big check to, to the Lord. But no, that, that is not the case. It is important to do things the way we do things, in a righteous way, and to, to, to obey the law's of the land, and for believers too. I mean, I guess sometimes, you know, I've bought something, not so much now because everything so much is done by credit cards. But before, you know, you you, you pay for things, you get the change in cash, and uh, a number of times I've got I've been given back in change, you know, more cash than I should have than I should have been given back, and then. When I realize that and go back and give it back, you know, sometimes 
you know, people have been a bit aghast or amazed that I'm returning the money back. But, uh, and then sometimes it's an opportunity to, 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 to witness that you know, you're, I'm a Christian and, and I want to do things right. And so, you know, we must, we must, be, we must be those who are, who are living honest lives. Even if, even if you're not invoiced for something or the person or the company has forgotten, you know, be those. Pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. Be upright. Be righteous. And, and Christian employees, if you're working, you know, you're working for, for a boss. We, we, we want to do what is right. We want to work our best. We want to labor and work as unto the Lord, not, not as unto men, as Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 23. And, you know, some, you know, some are slothful, some are lazy. I remember hearing the story of a missionary in Papua New Guinea, and he, had, he was up there and way out in the sticks in the villages and they were working on sugar, sugar cane plantation. And they, he had a, you know, a number of workmen there from the village. And you know, they, were, they were not working very well. And, and, and the problem is when the missionary would go away, then they would stop working. So this, this particular ministry, he had a, he had a, he had a glass eye. And so he was reprimanding them, and he says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to watch you, and you must be working. And so he took out his glass eye, he took that out, and he put it on a fence post, and put it on there just so he could see them all, and then he went away. And they all worked hard, and they got a lot of work done. And then he came back and put his glass eye back in again. But... Uh, um, you know, we must work, you know, for, for the glory of the Lord. And there's, there's many wonderful promises that God gives to those who are righteous. Isaiah 32 and verse 17. You know, the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So when we're righteous, what does righteousness get a it's going to result in peace. Righteousness will exalt in quietness. And God, righteousness will in, result in assurance. Wonderful, you know, assurance from the Lord. In Psalm 106 in verse 3, it says, Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that does righteousness at all times. In other words, that verse is saying, the psalmist is saying, that those who are righteous, they will be blessed. They will be blessed. And we all want to be blessed of the Lord. Psalm 20, Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, pursueth, but the righteous, they're bold as a lion. And so the righteous, they have boldness to stand, to stand strong for the Lord. Zephaniah 2 and verse 3. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. What are we to seek? Seek righteousness. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. If it may be, it, it may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So the righteous, many of the righteous, many of the righteous will be preserved in the time of judgment in the time of terrible judgments. God is looking on the righteous. God has a heart for the righteous. Daniel 12 and verse 3, it says, Those that be wise 
shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness. If we turn others to righteousness, if we lead others in the pathway of righteousness, you know, we shall, we shall shine like a star. We'll shine like stars forever and ever and ever. The righteous shall shine like the stars. And Paul says in his last, the last epistle he wrote, the epistle to Timothy, right at the end, or right in the last chapter, and that's in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. And Paul is right at the end of his life. It's just before he is beheaded on the Ostian Way outside of Rome. And at the end, very end of his life, he's, he's writing his final letter to Timothy. And he says he's, he's finished, a, he's, had a good, he's fought a good fight. He's finished his course. He's kept the faith. And then in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. One of the crowns that the Lord will give is a crown of righteousness. And Paul says that crown of righteousness is not just for me, but not for me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. And so the righteous, the righteous shall receive a crown of righteousness from the Lord himself. What a, what a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful promise. And part of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 14, it says, having on, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So what does the breastplate protect? The breastplate protects our heart. So righteousness, when we walk in righteousness and do righteous things, righteous acts, righteousness protects our heart. It protects our heart from being penetrated by the enemy. If, if a man, a soldier's got a shield on over his heart, those attacks of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy, they, they can't kill him. They can't get his heart because the, the armor is there. The, 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 the breastplate is there, the breastplate of righteousness. And so when we walk in righteousness, it protects our heart from being penetrated by the enemy. Joseph was a wonderful example of, of righteousness. He lived an upright life. He lived a righteous life. And because of that, everybody knew. And because of that, Potiphar trusted everything that he had to Joseph. And he knew Joseph wouldn't touch it. He wouldn't steal anything. He'd be absolutely faithful, absolutely righteous. And Joseph went through severe trials, as we, we all know. But through those trials, iron was wrought in his heart, in his soul. Psalm 105, in verses 17 to 19. But the righteous, the righteous, the righteous cannot be shaken. The righteous, the righteous cannot be shaken. The righteous cannot be moved. And then, of course, the three most righteous men who have ever lived. And we have Ezekiel lists them for us, tells, tells us who those three most righteous men who have ever lived, who they are. And we read, we read their names in Ezekiel 14, 14. And it says there, though these three men, though these three men, Noah, 
Daniel and Job were, were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, says the Lord God. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, says the Lord God. So those three, Noah, Daniel, and Job, they're the, the three most righteous men who've ever lived. Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2 verse 5. And when the judgment came on all mankind, which was the flood in the times of Noah, but Noah and his family, his three sons and, his th and their wives, Noah and his wife, the eight of them, they were preserved. They were preserved. He was a preacher of righteous, righteousness. He was a righteous man. And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, 8 and 9. And when we walk righteously, you know, we also can find grace in God's eyes. And we can stand for righteousness. You know, we're living in an increasing, increasingly wicked and perverse, degenerate generation. I mean, but we are called to stand for righteousness, to stand for that which is right. Daniel, he was a righteous man. Job 1 verse 1 speaks about that he was blameless. And in, in his time, judgment came on the nation of Israel. And Jerusalem was destroyed. The Babylonians invaded. The ba Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. And the Babylonians destroyed the temple. Many, many thousands were killed. But yet Daniel was spared. He was spared and he was even, he was even, not only was he spared, and not only did he not die, but Daniel was even promoted in the Babylonian Empire. And this is, that's Ezekiel 14, 14 is an absolutely amazing verse because when Ezekiel wrote that, Noah had already died, Job had already died, but Daniel was still alive. In other words, God had such confidence in Daniel that you know he knew that even though he was still alive, his 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 name was written there in Ezekiel 14, 14 as one of the most righteous men who had ever lived. And the leaders in Babylon, they could find no charge against him. They could find no sin in his life. They could find no error. They could find no fault in Daniel, as we see in Daniel 6 and verse 4. And think of Job too. Job, he was a righteous man. But God allowed Satan, God allowed Satan to afflict Job. And he suffered the loss. He suffered the loss of everything, of, of, of all his goods, of his cattle, of his camels, of his oxen, everything, even his children. He had seven sons, three daughters. They were all killed. He lost everything. And then his wife, even his wife turned against him, said, you know, curse God and die. But Job was a righteous man, and God allowed Satan to afflict him. He suffered the loss of so much, but he not only survived, he was, he was preserved, and he was healed. God turned his captivity, but 
he was, and, and he was blessed. Not only he survived, but he was blessed. Daniel was blessed with a double portion, a double portion. And we read in Job 20, 29, 12. Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. There, and so there is a blessing from God on those who help the poor and the fatherless. So helping the poor is, is, is one of the prerequisites of righteousness. And, you know, God wants us to reach out, to reach out to those, you know, in deep need. James tells us, James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. 1 John 3 verse 7, which I've already quoted, it says, He that does, righteous, he that does righteousness is righteous. He, he who does acts of righteous, righteousness is a righteous person, even as he is righteous. And so a righteous man is one from whom righteous acts will flow. Familiar verse, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but is in righteousness, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So joy comes from righteousness. Righteousness first, and that results in peace and joy. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 45 and verse 7, Psalm 45 and verse 7. And again, this is another, another beautiful psalm. It's a kingly psalm. And in verse 7, it says, You love righteousness and hate iniquity. Now, there's those people, they, love, they do love righteousness and they do love doing what is right. But the problem with some people is even though they love righteousness, they do not have a hatred for wickedness and will hang out with wicked people and so on. Now, true righteousness is, is not only loving righteousness, but it's also having a hatred of wickedness as well. And so... On the one hand, we love righteousness, but on the other hand, we, we have a hatred of evil and a hatred of wickedness. And then the rest of that verse says, Therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Now there's great joy above thy, above thy fellows. So basically that verse is saying, when we love righteousness and we also hate iniquity, then that's going to result in much joy in our lives. And we have to have a love for that which is right and true and a hatred of iniquity, even as the Lord Jesus did. And this results in being anointed with the oil of gladness, with great joy, because joy is the result of of righteousness. In the Sermon on the Mount, some of the you know key, key teachings of the Lord Jesus Himself, 
Matthew 5 and verse 6. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then there's again another wonderful promise. They shall be filled. They, They will receive the answer to that prayer. And may God put in our hearts that we would pray. And, you know, don't just pray once, but I encourage you to pray often, often, maybe daily. Pray that God will give you a fresh hunger and a fresh thirst for righteousness. And there's a promise there. They will receive it. They will be filled. And we want to be, may we, each of us, be among the blessed who have a hunger and thirst for righteousness so that our whole being, our spirit, our soul, our body is filled with righteousness and manifests his righteousness, his righteousness. And you know, sometimes there needs to be a, you know, ongoing, you know, repentance and work in our lives. And, you know, when we fail, you know, the first thing is to put it right, acknowledge we've done wrong, confess our sin, tell God we're sorry, we hate it, we're willing to forsake it and turn it and ask God to to change us and to, 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 to root that thing out of our being out of our out of our life. All right. The third getting back now to Psalm fifteen and verse three. We're looking at three qualifications for dwelling in Mount Zion. And we've looked at two. And the third he we've looked at firstly at he walks uprightly. Secondly we've looked at he that works righteousness. And then lastly this morning, he that speaks the truth in his heart. He that speaks the truth in his heart. In other words, no deception, no deceptive practices. You know, sometimes people ask for money for one thing and and then they use it for something else. But, you know, no deceitfulness. You know, it said of Nathaniel, you know, Jesus said he was without guile, without guile. You know, no, no deceit, transparent. You know, that that must be our goal. And Zephaniah tells us, Zephaniah 3 and verse 13, the remnant, of Eve, the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their, life, in their mouth. That's what we want. For they shall f- feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. You know, when Walking in righteousness, there's, there's no fear. When we, when we speak the truth in our hearts, in other words, our heart and our mouth speak the same thing, and that is the truth. That is the truth. So many believers today, they don't speak the truth. You know, there's exaggerations, there's criticism, there's lies, there's half-truths, but it's the whole truth. And Ephesians 4.25 And Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. And he's not writing to the heathen, but he's writing to a a, a church. It's not only an evangelical church, it's a Pentecostal church. They've been filled with the Spirit. They've been taught the ways of God by the Apostle Paul himself. But he has to write to them. And he writes to them, he says, put away lying. Put away lying. Don't have deceit. Speak, you know, speak the truth in your heart. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
And, and Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 22 tells us, you know, lying lips, they're an abomination unto the Lord. God hates a lying tongue. And one of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, in Proverbs 6 and verse 17, it says seven things that the Lord hates, a proud look. And the second one, number two, was a lying tongue. A lying tongue, God hates it. Psalm 51 verse 6, Behold, you desire truth. God wants truth in the inner parts, in the inner parts. When we tell the truth, when we tell the truth, we are putting iron in our souls. We are strengthening the, the inner fabric of our souls and to stay in God's presence. You know, we need to always tell the truth. Proverbs 18 and verse 7, Proverbs 18, 17 in the NIV, it tells us there, the first, the first person to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. So until you hear, you know, in other words, you know, sometimes when somebody tells you their, their side of the story, it sounds very feasible, it sounds very good, it sounds correct. But then when you hear the other person's side of the story, then, you know, everything changes. Um, and, and often there's two sides of, of, of a story. And, you know, we must be those who are absolutely truthful, absolutely truthful. There was a fishing contest in New Zealand, at the area, where, a place where we visited when we were back in New Zealand last year. And they have this fishing contest each year. And, uh, and one year, I read in the paper what had happened, is the man who caught the biggest fish, he caught the biggest fish, and he, I think he was awarded the prize, first prize, and there's a picture of him and everything in the newspaper. But then they found out, it was found out a day or two, that he caught that fish, he caught that fish, I think it was the day before, or the day before that, because he'd been put in the freezer and then come out of the freezer again. But then he made out as if he caught it on the particular day of the fishing contest, which he didn't. And he was caught, but, uh, you know, it, 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 he wasn't upright. He wasn't upright. Uh, he wasn't honest. He got caught out. And... You know, God wants, he wants absolute truthfulness, honesty, you know, in our words, not, che not cheating. You know, many people cheat, get, they get unemployment or get, you know, benefits for the, from the government, which they have, they're getting because they've told lies or because they, they haven't been honest in, in jo job interviews and so on. But I tell you, it never pays off. It never pays off. When we seek, and when we seek to press on to Mount Zion, you know, our mouth and our heart, you know, must be saying the same thing. Our mouth and our heart must be saying the same thing. He that speaks the truth in his heart. He that speaks the truth in his heart. A number of years ago, there was one of the former speakers of the House of Representatives. And his name was Sam Rayburn. This is going back a number of years. And when he was asked how it was that he could remember to give the same answer to a situation over many years, with many years' gap, he replied, it is, not, it, is not I, it is not that I remember my previous answer. I forget my previous answer, but it is that I always tell the truth. And therefore, my answer is always the same. 
I think that's, that's wonderful, wonderful testimony, wonderful testimony of that Speaker of the, the House of Representatives. So by the grace of God, we want to be those who dwell in Mount Zion. And if we're going to dwell in Mount Zion, there's no ifs and buts. I mean, we must be those who walk uprightly. We must be those who, by the grace of God, we do works of righteousness. We're, we're, we're righteous men. We're righteous women. We're righteous young people. And then, thirdly, we must speak the truth in our hearts. And they're part of the qualifications for dwelling and abiding in Mount Zion. And that's where the Lord is, in the very presence of the Lord, where we can love him and adore him and worship him with our whole being. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your so, so great salvation. And Lord, we don't want to just be believers in you. But oh God, Lord, we want to be changed into your image. Oh God, we want to become like you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to qualify to be with you. Even in eternity. Oh God, on Mount Zion. We thank you, Lord, for your precious promises and your word. And Lord, we pray that we will take them seriously. Lord, that we will lay hold of you. Oh God, Lord, just minister to each one now. Just to just be quiet for a moment or two. Just maybe there's some, as I've been talking this morning, I, I, I sense some issue has come up with, with some area of unrighteousness, maybe an area of lying. Just put it right with the Lord. Father, you are a righteous God. And Lord, you, you said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. And Lord Jesus, we pray you would come. Just give us a fresh, a fresh hunger and a fresh thirst after righteousness. And Lord, fill us with your righteousness, we pray. In your precious and your wonderful name. Amen.